Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Sam Moses. I'm with my good friend, Matthew Garber. And this is part two of a two-part series on how to prepare your mix for mastering. So if you missed part one, I would go back and listen to that first. But on the second part, we are going to discuss bitrate, master for iTunes, and if you should attend a mastering session uh, and the pros and cons of that. So I'm really excited about this part two. And Matthew, let's get to it. So Sam, where do you stand on like telling clients about limiting compression on the mix buzz and headroom? I feel like it comes in like just about every project and it's something that I bring up. So where do you stand on that? So with compression and limiting, a lot of people ask me the question of like how much headroom they should leave me. And what they're talking about is basically where the mix should be peaking in relation to zero. So like zero is our, you know, the maximum. And after zero, you have distortion. You're over. In regards to decibels, full scale, or DBFS. Yeah, yeah. Like on the fader. Right, yep. So when people talk about headroom, they're not thinking about compression limiting slash RMS, you know. Mm -hmm. So they... What I tell them is like, I don't really care about your headroom. It can go all the way to zero, but what I need is actually dynamic range. <coughs> so dynamic mm-hmm. range is basically the space between the loudest point and the quietest part, essentially, yes. in your song. And dynamic range allows me to actually do my job. So you could have your mix go all the way to zero <coughs> as far as headroom goes, but then I needed a dynamic range of like ideally like 10 or more. Yeah. Um, and so with compression, compression limiting, a lot of people will be compressing or limiting beyond that, you know, negative 10 because of loudness or their clients need to hear it at a certain level. Um, and so usually I will have them take off any final limiters they have on their track or compression mm-hmm. to open it back up so I can have the dynamic range and then I'll have them send me that um, that version they've all been listening to as well so I can hear kind of what they're used to and approved. But there's a huge difference between using the term headroom and then giving your master engineer proper dynamic range to actually do your job, yeah. to do our job. And I've actually never used that terminology. So I'm yeah. kind of like, like, should I start doing this? And it's kind of like, I don't know if a lot of people use that type of like metering. Right. At least that I deal with. So I'm just kind of totally. like I'm just kind of learning as you're talking, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, what what I encourage people to do is just take off that final limiter cuz I'm going to be able to make it more full and more loud yeah. sounding and probably less compressed too and limited and it'll still sound better. Um mm-hmm. than anything anyone can pretty much do in the box or even out of the box with master or mixing like I've just learned that when people give me, and a lot of people, this is a trust thing, so getting people to take off their final limiter or compressor will sometimes change their mix and they'll feel like it fell apart. But once again, this will go back to like setting, as a mixer, you should mix your tracks to set up your master engineer to win and get the best in product. So what you're trying to achieve is usually just loudness and overall volume and kind of glue. Um, And as a mixer, you you can only take that so far usually. 
Um, but as a mastering engineer, if you've been, I think, if you know what you're doing, and you have like some mastering engineer or mastering gear that's made specifically for that, then you can get a much better end product. But I can only give you that end product if you've set me up to actually give it to you, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So I will, if people are newer, they're like, I don't know, you know, we're so stuck on this version, you know, I'll have them send me both versions. Mm-hmm. And I've always used the version that doesn't have the limiter on it or compressor. And they've always <laughs> liked that end product far more than what they thought was loud or limited and big. Yeah. So when you give someone, you know, the the proper it's like with a chef, like giving them the right ingredients, mm-hmm. you know, and allowing the chef <clears throat> then to take those ingredients and make the cake you know, or the steak dinner or whatever you want. Like when when the ingredients or the tools are in, in the right hand of the person, then you can make a masterpiece. And that's like, I think, for me, my view of compression limiting is like, I understand why people are doing it because I understand the pressures of loudness and having to compete, you know, as a mixer now mm-hmm. in the modern age. And, but when it comes to me, like probably like four or five of, of the guys that, send me stuff consistently, they know now that the version they're going to send me is the version that the client has never heard, basically, which is interesting Mm -hmm. because like the client's approved the limited mix and the mixer already knows that I'm going to knock it out of the park far better than him, but, or her. Um, And so I get a version that the client's never heard, but we have such a good relationship going that they know I'm going to give them a much better end product. So, which is kind of nice because if the client likes the limited version already, you know, from the mixer, then they're pretty much going to adore anything I do at this point because it's just, it's the similar idea, but it's just done so much better usually. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're really happy with it because they are already kind yeah. of, they already signed off on the mix. They already think it sounds pretty good and they're expecting mastering just to make it better. So, and usually I do make it better is the goal. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my view on compression limiting. Like, I don't mind if you use compression limiting in your mix bus. I just would like to have some room so I can actually do my work. And for the, you know, there's been projects that I turned <coughs> down where they're not willing to do that. And, you know, I turn it down not because, like, I'm snotty or snooty. <laughs> like, you I turn it do down because job. I can't do my job. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I just... It's like giving a guitar player a guitar without strings or something, or like in a different yeah. key. It's like I just, I would no, love I mean, to work without on strings it. is a good analogy, pretty yeah. much. Like I just can't, I literally can't do anything right now yeah. to this, you know. So that's kind of my view on compression limiting, and um, people are starting to shift. Like the loudness thing is not not so important anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I've definitely seen a shift in the last couple of years where people are. You know, an album we did two years ago, they're coming back now and saying like, hey, let's, can you open this one up? You know, that's a term that's used a lot. Open it up more. Yeah. Or, you know, let it breathe more, um, which to me is just music to my ears. Like, <laughs> yeah. when we get to do that, then I think we really get to make songs shine and have emotion and depth, um, you know, assuming the song needs that or, you know. And, and then there's still some genres like EDM stuff, you know, some trap rap stuff. I mean, I love it. 
absolutely flattened and in your face and aggressive. Like, <laughs> I, I like <laughs> it loud. Making bricks. Yeah, I Making like... bricks with a limiter. I like the way it sounds loud. <clears throat> and when it's not that loud, I think it feels weird. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same vibe of kind of what made those genres really popular right now, <clears throat> you know, for the last five years. Um, but I don't think everything has to be so loud. So that's kind of... That would be what I've experienced, you know, with compression limiting. But what are your thoughts on that? Um, really quick, I don't really uh, hammer as loud on compression, so long as it's not slammed on the mix bus. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can lose a tonality, and if that tonality is vital to uh, how your record is going to translate per how you want it to, I yeah. say go ahead and leave it on. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. In terms of limit limiting, uh, I'm a little bit more militant on it as, listen, and, and and I guess the people who send it to me with a limiter on, normally it's like that limiter's at, like, everything's at zero. Yeah. And it's like, I don't really, and I, I've never really thought of it in terms of, like, hey, send me this, like, with this dynamic range. And I'm also curious um, how many mixers that I work with uh, monitor dynamic range. I, I, I've never really thought of it. Yeah. I'll have to ask around, actually. Um, but what I use, is, the vernacular that I use is uh, send me which version breathes the best. Yeah. And in which case, I mean, that vernacular like or syntax translates yeah. into dynamic range. And in terms of headroom, um, just because I want to more speak in a language that, at least as me mixing, I would understand... Um, not saying mix engineers do not understand dynamic range at all. I mean, yeah. that's their world. Um, but in terms of headroom and just what I've seen other people prescribe, um, and in terms of like mastery engineers, like frequently asked questions and stuff like that, I'll normally stay with like on like DB full scale, send me something at like minus three or six, whatever you think breeds better. If like you yeah. think six stuff's falling apart, then send me something at minus three or whatever breeds better. If it breathes at like the way you wanted that, minus one, go ahead and send me that and I'll see if I can work with it. Yeah. And it's normally down to what you said, Sam, the dynamic range that's available. Right. Um, but in terms of limiting, I'm pretty militant in saying it's got to go. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think that's where I stand on it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so reference tracks we already talked on. Yeah. Uh, unmastered tracks, the volume you want, we already talked on that. Let's just tap real quick because I don't think this is super important, but yeah. I think it is a topic that people, when they're deciding on a mastering engineer, they'll see if mastering engineers have this, yeah. is mastered for iTunes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this will be around for, I mean, or at least like as big of a thing as right. like, for a long time. Right. Uh, I'm of the belief that the music industry is about to shift. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't agree. say how, but I see a shift happening. Yeah, and I don't think this will be as important, really, just because of how, I guess, quoting like the loudness war and stuff like that. I just and like how stuff's just getting quieter. Yeah, I feel like uh, this won't be as big of an issue. Right, and I mean, hard drive space is improving or in, in increasing and whatnot, and it's like easier to put out like higher res albums yeah. and and everything. Um, so if you want to touch on Mastered for iTunes and what that means if a mastering engineer has it or doesn't have it. Yeah, so essentially Mastered for iTunes um, is, is a format uh, on iTunes. And 
basically if something is mastered for iTunes, that means it falls within the standards that Apple has created um, to deem something in its optimal <coughs> spot for playback on iTunes. So they've created a rule, some rules and guidelines of uh, ceiling output and overall kind of loudness compression that if you fall within this certain, um, you know, within their certain variables and you use their software to verify that and you're a certified master engineer and you submit it for Mastered for iTunes format, then they will put that little stamp on it. Um, but essentially they created that to say that they believe in during their compression when they change your song from WAV format to like AAC format or M4A, um, those are both compressions Apple uses. Um, mm-hmm. They're basically saying if you fall within these guidelines, your song will play back uh, almost identical to what you submitted. Um, yeah. Or if not identical, like humans can't tell the difference, supposedly. I mean, um, you can listen to the encoding and stuff like that, and yeah. I promise you there is a difference. Like, There's if definitely you, like, a difference. If you listen like hard enough like to the encoder and then switch back to the source, I mean, there is a difference. Yeah. Oh, I agree, and, yeah. I think they, and, but, they assume the consumer can't tell, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's where so certain... The trend was you needed to have your album mastered for iTunes which meant the mixes needed to be different due to the encoding. And that's kind of a myth. Like, that's kind of gets into, like, the mastered for vinyl thing, um, mm-hmm. which we can talk about later. But, yeah, basically, mastered for iTunes is just a set of guidelines that you have to know what they are and you have to know how to get the songs in there for it to qualify for mastered for iTunes. And then even if you work with a Mastered for iTunes engineer like me or Matthew, um, you still have to yourself, and this goes back to you, you have to submit it as the artist um, that you want it to be examined or analyzed for Mastered for iTunes through your distributor. So just because we master it for iTunes and it fits all the, the parameters, you still have to submit it uh, differently than a normal digital release for Apple yeah. to verify it and stamp it. Usually it costs a little bit more money to do that too. It's not terrible. It's like 20 bucks, I think. But that's what a lot of people will ask me to master for iTunes and I will do it and I'll give them my information that they have to usually submit with it. Um, mm-hmm. But then they never do that, you know, because yeah. it's an extra step or they didn't take the time to, you know, and I always tell them, but sometimes people just don't they don't do it. <laughs> like I don't know how else to say it. They just don't do it. And yeah. then they go, you know, it came out and it doesn't have the stamp on it. And I'm like, well, did you do this? They're like, no. And I was like, well, that was like a necessary step. You have to do that. <laughs> so, um, but I think, I think like you were saying, it's, it's going to change or not be as important. It already, to me, is not important anymore. Like, yeah. in the last six months, I've had no one ask me about it. <clears throat> um, And, you know, two years ago, it was, like, the hot button of, like, people would work with me because of that. And people wouldn't work with me before because I didn't have it. And I think it was a big... I think what Apple... Validation. Yeah. And I think what Apple did was, like, uh, the correct thing. Like, to say, hey, we know there's compression happening. And, like, your file is changing on some level. 
and yeah. we want it to sound the best it can <laughs> for you. So here's some guidelines of how it can sound the best if you want to use our platform. Like I and think there was some awesome. like bizarre exclusivity with it as well. Yeah, yeah. And there it was, was like a like a club, and it's weird because even if you look on forums, there's like no way to tell <laughs> right. like how to get registered, and then like. You have like on Gear Sluts or something, someone will have said in the past how yeah. to do it. Yep. And then like that will have been deleted by somebody. Yeah. And so supposedly like there's really like weird. the list is floating around somewhere. So yeah, yeah I mean I, I hunted that that down for like three or four years. I tried to figure out how to get certified and I hit dead end after dead end after dead end. <clears throat> and then finally I just started talking to people at Apple and they gave me a number and I called somebody and I emailed someone and I called someone and I emailed someone. <coughs> and then eventually someone was like, yes, I can put you on the list. And I was like, oh my gosh, the list exists. like, <laughs> Or whatever, like he could document me. And I just had to, <coughs> and you went through the same process. Like, yeah. You, you just have to ask the right person eventually. Yeah, eventually you have to ask the right person who can say, "Yeah, I can certify you." <laughs> and then and it's you stupid easy. Oh, I know it is. It's, it's not difficult. It's stupid easy. Yeah. You just have to say that. Yeah, I everything I master for the most part goes along like these guidelines. And right. Like, All right. Exactly. Sweet. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah, it's really easy, and that's what <clears throat> I try to tell people is like. I know it seems like it's really important, but really it's nothing more than basically a ceiling output, like compared to yeah. the loudness you're at. Um, yeah. And so I try also, to. Also, if you heard like a really crazy loud noise about two minutes ago, well, I didn't like hear over it. this. You're gonna hear it on the recording. <laughs> that was the rain. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's like, like holy crap! It was raining Pouring. here. So if you hear that, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> all I, good. We can't. We, I guess you can RX it out, but it's not worth it. Nah, I'll leave it in. No. All good. This is real life. So authentic. Yeah, but yeah, the master for iTunes thing, you know, I could see it just not being very important anymore. And yeah. I mean, I don't have it hardly anyone asks me about it anymore. And um it really I like the idea of it, but I don't think it's that important, you know. Yeah. Because it opened up a whole can of words of like, oh, do you have to master for SoundCloud and master for Spotify and master for YouTube and master, like... It's a they, big can of words. Yeah, they kind of started that, and I do think, you know, and this is a podcast we're going to do sometime, but like some more regulation on how to measure everything and try to get some standards going, again, of where you should master things to as far as RMS or LUFS or a whole <laughs> new system. But, um, but yeah, I just master for iTunes... It's it's a cool idea. I think it's a, a the heart behind it is really good, but I don't think it's that important anymore. So that's where I land on it. I think it was important for the time that it came out. Yeah, and that's true. In, in terms of like trying to control like the loudness wars and right. also and more specifically like inner sample peaks. Yeah, and clipping. Yeah, and that's a big part. It's of it. like. It's like whenever you have it like being like your audio being converted and whatnot. It's like. Like the analog signal is technically going over as opposed to yeah. the digital signal, yeah. and uh, just yeah, it it was good for when it came out, but I think that the music industry is about to shift in yeah a pretty cool direction to where um, I think it's a cool thing that we won't be needing it as much yeah, but it's a good baseline to go off of totally. 
Yeah, they were. In, that's what I'm saying. Like the direction, like the idea behind it, I think was really good. And I think they yeah. like started a conversation that most people didn't even know what they were. The conversation was started. <laughs> they were just like, "Oh my yeah. gosh, I need that stamp on my album." Yeah. But it was like it was speaking to a much bigger thing, which is loudness. Um, yeah. Which is great that they did that. So, and I feel like we've already spent too much time on it. Cause it's not that important. Yeah, but yeah. No. Okay. <coughs> Moving Excuse on. Me. <clears throat> Got a bad cough. Okay, so something that is very important: uh, format to submit your mixes in. Sam, what formats do you accept? I for I I format. I do format. I accept pretty much. I always ask people to send me the highest quality they were working in. So usually that is forty-eight. At this point, <laughs> most people are working in forty-eight. Uh, I have zero issues with getting stuff in 44. Sometimes uh, I have a few people overseas that work in 88.2 and 96. Um, And so I'll accept that too. I can accept all Mm -hmm. formats. You know, the Hilo, I mean, you have Hilo too. Like it can accept pretty much anything, and I can, um, you can convert within the Hilo as well, which is cool. So I just want the highest format that you've been working in, and if you can get that to me, preferably wave, but it really doesn't matter. I can work in any format. It's all good. Do not submit an MP3. Don't submit an MP3. Because there's already junk that's removed. Right, yeah. So and you just don't want that. Some sort of uh, <coughs> lossless format, um, yes. which is basically anything but MP3 or M4A. Um, those are the two things the public has access to pretty much are those two compressed versions. So, And the reason we don't work in that is because <clears throat> they both contain less information than a lossless file. So when we go to work on it, some of your, your, um, some of your track is literally not there anymore <laughs> when you do an MP3. Like the top end gets rolled off. Some of the bottom end usually gets rolled off. And so it's... Um, it's not giving us what we need to really enhance. I mean, one properly. of the best examples I saw of how like to describe an MP3 to someone who needs help with it being described to them is like how you can read those sentences that don't have certain letters in them or yes. that, like the first and last letter are together, but like there may be some letters of the word that are missing and whatnot, but you can still read it because your brain's just like that awesome. Yeah. Of a tool. Um <clears throat> That's kind of like an MP3, and it removes things. And it it essentially, when the algorithm was created, it essentially assumes there are certain parts that you can still, like, receive, like, what your brain needs in order for that to exist as a song. And whatever it deems not necessary, it removes. And it's cool because there are certain tools that you can use on your mix um, to like sample what it's going to be like as an mp3 and then you can listen to the music that has been uh or parts of the file that have been removed yeah and it's actually pretty astonishing um so please like wave is kind of really what i suggest you submit at it's like the highest quality you can yeah it just helps everybody yeah so Um, that's yeah pretty simple yeah Cool. Something that, I mean, this might be a long conversation. It might not. Attended sessions. Yeah. Where so, do you sit in on that? Yeah, so attended, attended. attended sessions I don't do anymore, really. Um, I found attended sessions to be 
they kind of make they seem to make things more complicated because people that don't understand the mastering process don't understand that part of my job is to find everything wrong with your album and mix essentially. <laughs> and so yeah. um, a lot of what I do is, and it's not necessarily so much that it's wrong. I'm just finding things that may be troublesome. Just doesn't balance well. Yeah, that doesn't balance well. Or won't. And <clears throat> usually when I have an artist like kind of listen or attend a session, they start to doubt everything about their album <laughs> because I'm yeah. finding all the sibilance issues or low-end issues or even track-to-track like things I'm adjusting where they might be like, oh, well, we could just go back to the mixer and have them tweak that and resend it. And it's like we're just opening up a can of worms. Like, your album is fine. It's going to master well. This is just part of the process. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was one of, like, one of the reasons why I stopped doing it is I just felt like artists were beginning to feel like they didn't have a great mix or something. And yeah. when, in reality, they usually did have, like, a really great mix. It's just my job to, you know, a mastering engineer is, we find details, like, I'm obsessive with the detail and attention to like all the nuances and usually even if you weren't like I'm listening to the album for the first time or second time with the artist and I'm going to hear things that they have forgotten that are there you know and I don't want to bring attention to things that are totally fine like just because I notice them and a lot of artists I found like things I would notice they would begin to question even if it was good yeah. or bad. It didn't matter. If I was just like, oh, that snare drum, like, wow. They'd be like, oh, is that good, bad? Do we need to change it? You know, what are, what are you going to do? Like, it just it became matter. this thing where... Trust the trust the flow. Yeah, I just found that, you know, artists are... And what I love about artists is they're so in, usually invested and they care and they're emotional about mm-hmm. it. But yeah. artists usually carry a lot of self-doubt. You know, they're always kind of questioning, you know what kind of artist am I? Like, am I even an artist, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to do is at the last stage, which should be enjoyable and fun for them to get the master back, I don't want them leaving the session or, you know, usually I'd be like, <laughs> okay, you know, session's done, I'll print it later and send it to you, you know, to, to hear in your car or whatever, earbuds. Yeah. Like, I don't want them leaving that session being like, I'm questioning my whole album now. Like, <laughs> is anything yeah. good? So that's one reason why I don't do it anymore. The other reason I don't do it um, is this is a more personal reason, and this is just me, but when I have people watching me work, I immediately start thinking, what do they think about me? Which, yes, it's selfish, but as a human who works, like I naturally begin to be like, well, what, what can I do and not do? Like, I mean, I always want to impress people. Like, that's just kind of... As a human, you want to make people like you, you know, and feel important. And I found myself being much more timid to try things Mm -hmm. because I was scared that maybe they would think I didn't know what I was doing, you know. But part of, like, music and the great thing about music is it's all about creativity to me, you know. And and I use creativity in, in, in a way meaning, like, you get to try things out. You know, you get to play with things, you get to turn knobs, you get to do different signal chains. And when I master, I like to try different things on songs because I'm trying to get the best in product for the client. But sometimes that means like you try the wrong thing like four times in a row and it sounds terrible, you know? And when I started doing that with 
with artists, I felt like they, and this was me projecting onto them, so it's not fair, but I just felt like, man, they probably think I suck. Like, I'm trying this compressor and then this compressor, and I don't like either of them, and they both actually aren't improving the sound. And, um, you know, it's like, for me, it's part of the process of like, I just want to hear how things sound through different signal changes. It's just experimentation. Yeah, to figure out what really does fit the song and serves it best. <clears throat> um, and I just found when I had people in the room with me that it it became more of like a, I don't know, I was like more timid and they were more doubting at the end of the session, no matter what I told them, you know, oh, it's going to be great, don't worry, just let me bounce it down, you know, later and listen to it tomorrow, fresh ears or something. And, you know, usually they'd like it, but I just I just don't like that feeling for them, you know? And I don't like yeah. it for me. Um, and the final reason is I just, I work better alone. When there's no distractions, no one in the room, and it's just me and the music and my gear and my speakers, like, I am 100% zoned in. Like, my wife jokes, like, when I'm working, like, you could rob our house. Like, <laughs> you could come in and steal everything and be loud, and I probably won't hear you. Not because... Like, I'm listening at such a loud volume, which my room is quiet, but it's just I'm so focused. Like, I'm so in your album. (laughs) I'm so in your album that, like, I don't realize anything else that's going Mm -hmm. on. Um, And when I have people around, it's just like if you move your couch or you cough or you do anything, I'm all of a sudden back into, like, oh, I'm in a session and there's people behind me listening. Yeah. As opposed to me having, like, uninterrupted um, workflow, which I think for me gives people the best in product. So yeah, I very rarely, if anything, what I've learned when people, so like a few times a year people are asked like, can I come attend? <laughs> and usually what they, they're looking for is they just want to understand the process better. So yeah. what I've found to be which helpful... Which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I want them to do that. I just don't want yeah. them to do that while I'm working. You know, It's kind of yeah. like going to a restaurant and being like, hey, can I just like talk to the Watch chef the cook. whole time while he's like yeah. in his biggest like rush of the night? <laughs> you know, um, While there's like a Michelin star rated Right, exactly. There, like, yeah, that's kind of the idea. Um, and my response is like, <clears throat> any other day we're not doing your session, like come over. Like we'll talk about yeah. it. I'll talk... I'll give you what I even used like on your album or what my approach is like zero issues with telling people how it works showing them how it works you know the process of it but just not while I'm getting paid to work you know you're paying me a rate to give you the best in product and you're not going to get that yeah I don't want to um, jeopardize (laughs) that by having you in the room or having you know other people in the room because sometimes I did one with you know a band that had a label and it's like it was like A and R and artists and like a friend of the artist and a wife and it's like now we have always the like, friends. Yeah, now we have like ten people in the room, which a changes the sound of a room if you put Someone ten bodies weed and it's all like yeah, I've had that too. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's that situation where it's like I've found it to be less beneficial over the last eight years than beneficial. Um, yeah. So that's my view on it. Some people. You know, most big places like a Sterling, like they'll tr- make you pay extra for an attended session. Um, and I think part of that is to weed out the people that, like, if you want to attend a session, you got to <clears throat> really want to attend a session. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you're just going to get bored. Yeah. It <laughs> is kind of boring. 
You want to listen to your song a couple hundred times right. or however long it takes. Yeah. You're just going to get bored. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And it's just natural as if you're sitting to something and listening <clears throat> over and over again where you're just going to be like, okay, I'm bored. Or you're going to be like, why are you doing that? <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And it's like, ah, just, you need to leave. Like, any other time, I'll explain it. But right now, like, <clears throat> I need to be focused on your album to give you what you want. Um, so that's my that's my opinion on attended sessions. So what are your thoughts, Matthew? Um, when I mix front of house, probably the most annoying thing to me, besides which I, what, what I call the unauthorized tambourine. Yeah. Because um, there's always somebody who has it. Yeah. Um, I was just at my sister's wedding and someone brought a tambourine to the wedding. And the band that was playing, I was like, I was like, man, they have to hate this right now. It's like, yeah. like hitting the thing off beat and everything. <laughs> besides, besides unauthorized tambourines, um, the most annoying thing is someone talking behind me yeah. while I'm working. And it's yeah. like, you have the whole like, like you have the whole like tech area to talk, and you're talking behind the one person who's using their ears, like, yeah, intently, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's number one, and number two, why I don't allow it, and kind of the most important reason is I don't really have that large of a room. Yeah. Um, if I did, I probably still wouldn't allow it, Yeah. Um, just because I do enjoy experimenting, but I don't yeah. have a large room, so any change in, <clears throat> it sounds weird, in, like, the air density in the room, Yeah. it drastically affects how things sound. Yeah. Um, I'm not listening on loudspeakers, I'm listening on monitors. Yeah. Um... And how things propagate, I will probably hear things different with you in the room than yeah. with you not in the room. Yeah. That's my number one reason. Yeah. Um, I have no problem reviewing the session once it's complete. If you mm-hmm. want to see what I did yeah. and everything else, I were completely in the box. You can download, buy, rip off whatever software I have <laughs> and go do it yourself right. and think you're a mastering engineer now, and that's right. fine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I, I've... I mean, I feel like there's a couple of people who want to do attended sessions for that reason. Right. Like, yep. oh, if I do an attended session, I don't have to hire this guy anymore. Yeah. But it's like, also, what you were saying is um, you'll have, like, you'll be te- you'll be demoing compressors or something like that. And uh, if I'm demoing the Alpha, like the Elysia Alpha compressor over, like, an API compressor yeah. over... Um, <clears throat> Uh, Slate has a Fairchild-like compressor. Um, it's like each one of those is going to have like a different tonality to it, and it's yeah. going to respond differently. It's like like the Alpha by Elysia is going to have like it's going to be a, an insanely zippy compressor. Totally. And there's like a lot of different like cool mid-side things you can do with it, and um, yeah, as opposed to like the API, which is like you're kind of doing it for the tone and the punch of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> As opposed to, I mean, one of the reasons why I use the uh, the Slate uh, version of uh, the the Fairchild is y- you're getting a little bit of glue with it, but yeah. also there's a kind of like an interesting top end yeah. that it adds by just having it on and not doing anything yep. um, that I like as well. So it's like, it's not that I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. It's just maybe I like want to play around a little bit it's like right. you did the same thing when you're mixing it right totally it's like it's like this is a process and just you got to trust it so yeah um 
And unfortunately, by someone being in the room while I'm doing it, then, I mean, you, sorry, it just, it just changes the room. And right. You hired me for me, my ears, and my room. Right. And you're messing that up. Yep. And I'm, I mean, not to be rude, it just, I don't even really entertain that. But if you want to come over after the session. Yeah. Um, and kind of do like a little listening party or something like that. Right. Um, I can go through 100% what I did, what I cut out, uh, what I added. I mean, there's yeah. no secret to it. Uh, in, in the end, I just want you to be happy with totally. your product. Yep. Um, but in terms of attended sessions, I mean, if that loses me a client, then, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I hope not. I hope you take me for my sonic, <laughs> like, abilities. But, right. I mean, if not, then that's okay. Um, so, yeah, let's... Uh, I, I think we touched enough on that, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think okay, that's good. Cool. Totally. Um, so... Touching very quick on mastering for tape. Yeah. Sam and I don't do it when we don't know no. a lot about it. There's Definitely some not. stuff where mastering engineers, if you send them tape without test tones, they will reject it right off the bat. Yeah. Um, and you can look more of that up. Sam and I don't like to talk out of our butts too much, so we're Definitely not, not really going to touch on it. Yeah. But if we ever interview somebody on here that does master from tape. Yeah. Uh, we will make sure that they talk your ear off about that because yeah. we want y'all to be as educated educated as you can be. Yes. So, but what we do offer is mastering for vinyl. Correct. Uh, Sam, you want to touch on all the experience you have with that? Yeah. So, mastering for vinyl, as most people understand it, is actually should be called like prep mastering for vinyl because I'm yeah. not actually cutting the vinyl. I'm not pressing it. But I am preparing it to be um, to be cut properly. I'm preparing it so that it falls within the parameters of what <laughs> vinyl likes and accepts, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do mastered for vinyl for people when they wanted it. Um, and that looked something like making sure the low end was correct and like adjusting some mono issues, um, taming some of the sibilance at high end because that makes vinyl distort when you play back if there's too much high end usually. Um, and then also usually it, it uh, included like taking off some compression limiting to allow for a little more dynamics which vinyl responds better to when it's getting cut. Um, you do all those things because it just makes the vinyl cut cleaner and smoother with the way that medium works and there's so much technical things that go into it that we don't even need to go into. Um, at this point. But basically, the preparation is preparing it so it gets cut correctly, so it plays back at a good volume and it's not distorting on playback. Um, And that's kind of the thought behind it. Um, I've shifted from doing Master for Vinyl to just sending people to a company I like called Pirate (laughs) Press, which does um, a really good digital transfer to vinyl um, of the digital master. And they have some killer gear and they have a lot of great people working there that know how to take a digital master and essentially do the um, the prep work I was kind of doing. They do it, but they do it mm-hmm. even better because it's automatically flowing into where they're going to cut. So um, it's just a better, like I, as much as I would love to, I guess, make more money or something, <laughs> like, because I do charge for master for vinyl. Um, I've really started to send people to them because they that's their life. Vinyl is their life. That's all they do. 
is cut vinyl. And they love it. And they've worked in digital and they've worked in vinyl and their staff is incredible. And I just send people to them because everything I've sent to them has come back sounding really great and pretty much identical to the digital. And vinyl's not supposed to sound like the digital like version. It's going to change. Like you're Oh yes. You're you're transferring <laughs> it to a whole different medium and it reacts totally different. So it should sound different. Um and so that's kind of like the master for vinyling kind of where I've shifted to really not doing that and just sending <coughs> them somewhere to people that are the experts because I think it gets them a better in product. Um but yeah, it's that's kind of my view on it. I think a lot of people are doing vinyl because um, it's selling more so at shows than CDs, and it's kind oh, of dude, like it's a, crushing it. Yeah, it's kind of like a it's crushing it a novelty. Um, and most people, once again, they're they're doing vinyl because of the demand of it. They're not doing it for the Sonics. Like if you really <laughs> wanted to sound great on vinyl, you would mix for vinyl. You would engineer for vinyl. Like you would you would produce the song knowing that it's going to vinyl. Um, and that is what I think a, a big difference of, I'll have people sometimes compare or think that their vinyl is going to be, it's going to somehow embody the characteristics of like a Steely Dan, al- <coughs> Dan album or like a Earth, Wind & Fire. Like I love Steely Dan. Yeah, I do too. Steely Dan albums sound freaking insane on vinyl. Like some of the best, I think, sounding albums of all time were Steely Dan. What's that album like? Catch a Thrill or? Uh, there's Catch a Thrill. I really like uh, Black Cow. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Black Cow. Catch a Thrill Cow. is quite possibly my favorite album. My friend Ellis Cotter turned me on to it. And yeah. It's like been a reference album for me. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think people sometimes, once again, expectations, they think, oh, the sound I'm missing is vinyl. Like it, once it gets yeah. cut to vinyl, it's going to sound like that. Uh, and often it doesn't. <laughs> so it's just. And if anything, it will expose like. Yeah, it's going to expose all your digital. And uh, there's <laughs> a. I won't say any names, but there's a local band here who. A uh, pretty big band, and they released to vinyl. And I'm not sure who mastered it, but it sounds like donk. And I was like, yeah. I, 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 I bought the record in hopes that <clears throat> the pressing facility had some type of like mastering facility on site that they would almost like remaster it right and i bought it and i was just absolutely disappointed yeah yeah and it's like it just kind of sits on my shelf as like man this is a waste of 20 dollars because i really wish that like they would have done a proper mastering job and it just yeah it just it just sounds bad and so it's like in all honesty even if you have to like ship out for it right. to someone to properly master for vinyl, right? Uh, it is so worth it. Yep. So it is I mean, like do do not do not shortcut there. Yeah, and I've had a few people like use really cheaper companies, and it sounds so bad. And you know, and then yeah. they come back and they're like, "What happened? You know, it sounds so bad. Did something mess up?" And I'm like, "You used a cheap company. Like they don't care." You know, they're not taking the time. They're just probably printing exactly what you sent them on a cheap, you know, cutter, and you get what you get. So that's kind of my view on mastering for vinyl. Basically, conclusion of it for me is, you know, work with a company that does it on a day in and day out regular basis. And if anybody's 
really pushing you to like, oh, you've got to have it mastered by an engineer, you know, before you send it. They're probably pulling your leg and trying to just make some money. Maybe. Like, maybe they have good intentions. But at this point, the technology is there to really do a good transfer if you're working with a company that... um, knows what they're doing so that's been my experience also keep on it. in mind if you're doing there, there's also there's there's two types of at least that i'm aware of you have like vinyl like pressing and then you yeah. have vinyl cutting yes pressing is i think what you want yeah um cutting is you're doing a low run maybe 50 to 100 yeah cuttings and <clears throat> it's essentially somebody with like an old presto lathe from the 1930s or 40s yeah. Yeah. That is cutting a mono groove. Yeah. So your record will play back in mono. Right. Um, be very certain of that. There are some people, uh, I can't remember the guy, he has like great videos on him cutting, uh, it's not acetate, it's, it might just be plastic. Yeah. Um, and he uses like stereo cutting heads and stuff yeah. like that. And you have to switch out like the stylus that cuts it. Yeah. I think it's normally a sapphire stylus and he switches it to a diamond just because like you would just destroy the regular yeah. sapphire by cutting into plastic as opposed to like warm like acetate. Yeah. Um so it's uh I mean it's a process, but just know like if you go like do your research on the company if that's what right. you want. Right. I mean you might be getting back like a hundred records that are all in mono and now you're stuck with it yeah so make sure you and your master engineer do your research yeah and vinyl companies don't refund like no i don't know any product is gone and yeah and if you want to rerun physical thing you're paying again for it so yeah so yeah that's my thoughts on inexpensive yeah so we have two more bullet points and it's under a new topic of what to expect what to expect when you're expecting in general, from a mastering engineer, <clears throat> excuse me, you should receive everything you need from a mastering engineer to then go into full production and release of your project. Yes. I mean, we talked a little bit about an automated, automated mastering services and stuff yeah. like that. And, um, but from an actual mastering engineer, you will receive everything you need to, to go into full production and yep. release, whether that's handing a DDP to a... CD production company, uh, or like mastering for vinyl or whatnot. Like, yeah, you should not have like, oh well, you didn't give me this. I mean, it should be everything that you need. Right. Yep. So, yeah. And uh, oh, do you have you want some add something to that or? No, that was good. That totally. Okay. It's a simple thing. <laughs> cool. And the last thing on this incredibly long podcast is. <laughs> Uh, how to handle revisions, which I yes. think is very, very important. So yeah. I'll let you touch on that, bud. Sure. Uh, so revisions, I always include in my rate. Um, I don't have a revision policy. We work until everybody's happy, which at this yes. point is honestly round one most of the time, um, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, but if someone has a revision, um, it's not an issue. I want the best in product. It's um, part of the process, I think, and can be. Uh, And I kind of view it as like when you're, if you take any stage of the music creation process, even be songwriting, like you'll write a song and then go back and fix a line or fix a word and then go back and Mm -hmm. fix a line and fix a word to try and get the best in product. When you're engineering, 
you're usually doing multiple takes and you'll comp them together usually to get the best, you know, performance. When you're mixing, you know, you usually have multiple revisions in mixing. And for some reason, when people get to mastering, and a lot of mastering engineers has taken on this of like, when I master it, it has to be perfect round one. Like, and mm-hmm. if it's not, then <clears throat> it's your fault, not my fault. And I won't yeah. do a revision unless you pay me again. And I've just found that not to be very beneficial. Like, I approach it as here's where I would take the song for a release. And once again, there's a lot of ways to master a song um, and then get feedback. And usually they really like it. But I have no issues if someone's like, hey, can we hear the bass louder, you know, or can we try to move that vocal up or like there's something on the sides that feels weird that we know is our issue, but we can't go back to the mixer, you know, like the mixing's done. Could you try and, you know, adjust that? And I would just say, sure. Like, I don't have any issues with it anymore. I used to take it as a personal attack when I first started of like, they don't know anything or like they're not, you know, they, they're not the master engineer, so they don't know what I had to fix already, you know, kind of that mindset, which yeah. is just just kind of like not professional and it's kind of immature to me um, looking back at it. And it was more, it had more to do with me feeling like my ego and pride was hurt than, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to do the work and, and put in the work to get a really great end product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say a lot of times the revisions that they they want are actually pretty good. You know, like yeah. there's nothing wrong with me taking a song a certain way. And, you know, for me, the song is really new, you know, and they've been thinking about the end product for a year, maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. So like for them to get back the song and be like, oh, man, I really, like, envisioned it having more low end, you know, or more oomph or, like, punch. And for me, I go back and I do that, and I and a lot of times I'm like, you know what, that's right. Like, you've had this big long-term vision of, like, how it should feel compared to the rest. Like, you know the album so well that sometimes, you know, I'm, I have no problem saying, like, yeah, that was the right choice, you know. the where I Where I took it was, like, totally fine, could have released, could have been great. But mm-hmm. like sometimes the artist or the mix engineer, you know, they know they know what they're talking about a lot of the time. Like if they feel yeah. something, even if they have a hard time describing it, there's usually something there's some truth in it. And that's what I yeah. That's what I kind of like good life lesson is like whenever people have critique or like revisions, it's like, is there truth in this? Like where's the truth? Even though it may feel like an attack or something. Um or like a, a questioning of if you can do your job or not. Like, where's the truth in this? And that's what I'm going to focus on, knowing that we all want the best in product, you know? <clears throat> so that's kind of how I view revisions. Um, I've never had anyone abuse it, which is a lot of people ask me, like, well, how do you stop people from, like, you know, doing 30 revisions? I'm like, I've never gone over, like, three. Like... <laughs> You know, like I've never <laughs> gone over like three revisions and um, no one's ever abused it. And I almost, when I started with a revision policy, which was three, I found people to almost be more insecure about it because it assumes things will be wrong. Um, yeah, and beyond it, three. Yeah, and it assumes that people usually need to go beyond three and I cut it off at three for a reason. 
And then they also usually throw like the whole kitchen sink at you for a revision because they only have yeah. three where they're like, okay, so this needs a fix and this is a fix and this and fix and fix, fix this and that. And that's revision one. Okay, I got to give everything out because I only have three. And when you start messing with like the whole song, mm-hmm. like if it, you know, they get back a song and they're like, oh my gosh, now everything's wrong on this. Now we need to fix all yeah. of this. Like, as opposed to them knowing, like, okay, there's no pressure. Let's just start with the the top end. You know, yeah. If we change the top end, well, that'll change the mid range and that'll change the low end. So that may solve all the other eight issues that they thought they had if we just start mm-hmm. at the top end. Um, yeah. And so I found, I don't know, I found it just to be a much more like having that open policy of just saying like we're going to work until we're really happy um, has always gotten me a better in product compared to when I was like year three and you're out and then you owe me more money. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I just, I want the best in product and I don't want to like screw people over if they feel like it's not there. And at this point, and I've, I've never had this happen, honestly, is I've always told people, like, if I if we can't figure it out, then I'll just give you your money back, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've never done that, and it's never come to that, thankfully. But, um, you know, I don't want my name on a master that I don't believe in, <laughs> you know? If, so it's like if they're unhappy with it, I don't want them to pay. I'll just give it back, but I haven't had to do that, thankfully. So that's... That's kind of my view on revisions. Like it just, it just to me comes with the territory, and it comes with the the joy of creating. You know, is mm-hmm. part of the fun with creating is being able to tweak things and adjust things and hear things differently, and and be able to go, oh well, that sounded good, and this, even if they make a revision and they're like, oh, that actually sounds worse. You know, sorry about that. I'm like, that's fine. Like. At least we know, like we explored that, and we know version one or version two is actually the best fit for you, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Like, that's just part of it. I don't view it as like, see, they were wrong and they're stupid, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, they should have just been good with version two. Like, it's getting that no leads you to the yes, and and the whole goal for me is getting to that yes, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my view on it. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> I have no problem with them. Yeah. And I've never had anybody abuse it. Yeah. And I feel like the only reason you would have somebody abuse it is if you didn't give them a good master. Right. Exactly. And I feel like the process that I go through to get to know somebody and what they want out of their album leads me to a normal place of where people are fairly happy with their album. Yeah. And the only revisions that I normally get are when... um. <clears throat> I mean, normally it's they didn't hear something in their mix. Right. Um, and now that it's at volume, yeah. that they're like, hey, can I tweak this? So yeah. norm, nine times out of ten with me, it's a mix revision, and it's not anything that's bad. Yeah. It's just, hey, at volume, I don't like how this balances. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go back to the mix and tweak that, and then you can rerun it. And it's yeah. Like, sure, whatever. That's yeah. no problem to me. Yeah. Um, that's nine times out of ten. I do have some things that it's like, hey, I don't like this, or there, there's this one piece of uh, software that I have that um, sometimes when I like, I'll hit like a weird like RMS. It's not like yeah. super loud. 
it'll start introducing some like auditory like clipping, uh-huh. and it's not supposed to do that. And I, it's nothing with the gain staging or anything else because nothing's like screaming when I normally use it. Um, and I can't use it, but sometime, like, there was one time when I missed it, and I had a client be like, hey, did you hear, like, a little bit of digital clipping? And I'm, like, looking at all my meters, and I'm like, nothing's clipping, but I do hear what you're saying, and I actually thought it was on the mix, and I go back and listen, I was like, no, it's definitely on something I did, so I'm going back and looking back and being like, ah, it's this freaking piece of software that I should have thrown out a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so, and... But it's like sometimes I can get away with using it and it's quiet and other times it's not. And it's not a crack or anything else. It's like a full-blown piece of software that I do like using, but sometimes it goes a little it goes a little nuts. Yeah. Um, so it's like it'll be like little tiny things like that. That's only happened one time, but nine times out of ten, it's just a mix revision. And yeah. I mean, it's nothing that like bothers me. It's like, let's just get it right. And I feel like if you have that attitude... No one's going to take advantage of you. And, right. I mean, with my whole thing of I don't want to work with someone I don't want to grab a beer with, uh, that also means I don't want to work with someone who's not going to take advantage of uh, my kindness. Yeah. And they probably don't want to work with someone that is going to take advantage of them. Yeah. So in general, like, don't be a douche and you'll be good. Yeah, exactly. And it <laughs> generally works out well. <laughs> right. I have this rule. It's rule number one. Don't be a douchebag. You can yeah. settle all disputes with that one rule. Yeah. Just, just be kind. Right. And, like, don't be in it to take advantage or to gain something for yourself. It's all, like, a mutual thing. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think that's it. Uh, if anyone thinks that we missed something in this incredibly long podcast, I imagine <laughs> this will be our longest one. Yeah. And people will see it and like how to prepare for a mix a mix for mastering and they'll be like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this will this will really weed out who's the loyal father. Yes, the loyal it will. Listener. Yes. <laughs> so um yeah. I, I think we covered just about anything. Yeah, everything. we covered a lot if, of great ground. Yeah, if you think that we missed something, um please somehow write into us. We'll I mean, I'm linking both of mine and Sam's emails in um, in Fireside, where you can find us, and I mean, our like any social media. So you and we have like an attack and release page. So yes. You'll be able to find us and contact find us. us. Yep. And or if you want to hear something that we haven't talked about, or you like had like a weird experience or something yeah. with an engineer, or hey, I like it this way. It's like cool. We'll bring that up. <laughs> right. Like so long as it's not like really weird. Right. Um. Yeah. So do you think, is there anything else, Sam, that you think we didn't hit on? or? No, I think that's good. I think <clears throat> the only thing I have to say is whatever you're having, have a good one. There you go. <laughs> Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have, have a, good a good one. one. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Cannot wait to see you all in the next episode. Thank you. Cue the music, Sam. Thank you.